Well, we are excited to have, uh, as I said earlier, Pastor Jonathan and Natasha Lambert. And, um, you know, back in 2017, when myself and Gillian, we were, you know, had, had started our first interest night in the end of September, and, and we did another one in the end of October, and it was that exciting time, that scary time, and we had a conference in November, our conference, and I got to meet Pastor Jonathan there, and he, he was telling me about the story that he had planted the church five years pre- previous in 2012, and he experienced great growth and experienced many great things and great lessons and was just speaking into my life and pouring into my life and just encouraging and inspiring. And I was like, I want what he has. Whatever he's experienced, I want that. In fact, they call their church Experience Church, which I love. I love that name. I was like, I want that. And now it's so great. Um, six years later, getting to have them here and get them to experience well. What we're going through and what we're experiencing as a church. I'm just going to use that word over and over again. Because <laughs> our mission is to see people experience life change through Jesus Christ. And um, it's just been amazing to hear what's going on in Canada. Very like Ireland, I, I believe. In, in not in just in terms of like you get bad weather. But um, also just in terms of, the, and you got some of the most beautiful uh, nature. And it's fantastic. But even socioeconomically and politically, we're very, very similar in what's going on in Ireland to what's going on in Canada. I believe that we can learn so much from them. And as he comes and brings a word that you can learn and that you can glean. And, and, and really, I just encourage you, open up your your Bibles, open up your notebooks and get ready for what God's going to speak to you and download to you in this moment. And so we're just so grateful to have you. Would you give them a massive round of applause as we welcome up Pastor Jonathan today. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, This is, uh, it's been a great couple of days at the art conference and just just being here, we've we've loved it. Um, I don't know if anybody can relate, but to come a, a few years ago, six years ago, by myself, uh, nobody really liked me. Um, and then you bring your wife, and everyone's like, "Oh, these are such, this is such a nice couple," because she just. <laughs> um, uh, I I don't really do all the surveys and stuff like that. I don't. I, I've never sent my blood to a lab to be analyzed, but my sister does. And uh, she doesn't have a lot else to do. And so I, I wrote her the other day and I said, I know you've done this. How Irish are we? And so we're 27% Irish, I guess. So that's like, that's, well, that's more than a quarter, not quite a third. But I think, I think most Canadians are just a, a mix of English, Scottish, Irish, you know, just there's a lot in there. So um, that's what it means to be Canadian, is you're a little bit of everybody else. Um, so anyways, it's awesome to be here. And it really is uh, special to know that like six years ago, we we're just talking about this. Like it was something that was a plan. Now it's, it's a, you're a thing. This is like a real thing. It's like a real church. It's not just an idea or a dream or a thought or a concept or like, oh, I hope this works. Like, it's working. And so to stand in, really in a, I know we're in a hotel, but but just for a moment, appreciate that we're standing in a miracle. And, and every significant move of God starts because somebody says yes to the leading of the Lord. And so um, just wonderful for us to be together, but, but to know that it's because Pastor Sean and Jillian and others in those early days said yes to God saying, hey, 
plant the church, open arms. Yes is the conception point for miracles. Yes is the, the, like the launch pad for every amazing and miraculous thing that God wants to do in your life. He's going to start with you saying yes. And so, um, so we're here and your yes has made it possible. And can I just encourage you, uh, keep saying yes to things. I just have like a the church started because you had like a yes spirit. So let's just keep a yes spirit, like yes to giving and yes to going and yes to serving and yes to praying and yes to sacrificing and yes to leaning in. Um, but really importantly today, can we just appreciate Pastor Sean and Jillian? Because without them, we wouldn't be here. This would be an empty conference center and you'd all be sleeping upstairs. And so, uh, so honor you, so grateful, excited to grow in friendship, and yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful to be here. We are church planters. Uh, we started our church in Canada in 2012. Um, church planting is, uh, it's like having an extra child um, in, in many ways, and uh, it plays with your emotions and tugs on your heartstrings and brings you through all sorts of different experiences. We, uh, things have gone well, and that's like that's something that like you can't always say that in every situation of the church planting journey. Um, I think it was 2016. We we had three portable locations going in our city, and every location required multiple trucks and like 28 foot trailers to get all of the the gear and the sound equipment and the production. And uh, in 20 on a Thursday morning. Uh, in 2016, we went to our, our storage yard and our trailers had been stolen, two of them. It's so like almost $300,000 worth of equipment and they found it on fire in a field. Like they didn't even really make great money off it. Someone just hated us enough that they stole it and lit it on fire. And so there's been really terrible moments like that one. There's been great moments like what you're about to experience where you've purchased a building and now the plans are into the city and you've got the renovations in mind. And so we've done all of that too and had the joy and celebration. Um, and so I, I feel very much like we are uh, one and the same. We're on the same journey serving the same Lord. And so if you don't mind today, um, I'm going to this might be taking a little bit of liberty, but I'd like to, because I know that you're getting ready to move into some really amazing things. So I'd like, I don't know everybody. I said, you know, I know I've met, I've met like 83 people this morning and I'm trying to remember everybody's names. Um, but I don't know everybody real well, but, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to encourage you as we move into the next season of Open Arms Church, and I'm just gonna talk like I'm part of the church because we're here. So as we move into the next season of Open Arms Church, um, can I talk to you today like, not as if you're the church uh, members in a church of hundreds, but can I talk to you as, as if you're the leadership team in a church of thousands? Can we do that? So, so forgive me if it's your first time. I'm just going to assume that God's getting a hold of your heart and you're going to be all in. There's a yes in your spirit. You're going to be a leader in the church of the future here at Open Arms. And so, so that, that's going to be how, how it feels today. Psalm 27 verse 13 says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's a great verse, right? That's a great verse. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You can put Dublin in there. You could put Ireland in there. Like, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in Dublin. 
I mean, he says, this is a great, this verse works for every city, every context, every situation. It's a good verse. Let's pray into it. God, thank you that we can have confidence today that goodness is in front of us. God, we're, we're excited for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, confidence is important. You gotta have confidence. Natasha and I have been married for 18 years. We've got four kids, beautiful children, three girls and a boy. Beautiful, a little bit crazy, beautiful. Um, I remember being told before I met Natasha, see, I was very single before we met, like very single. And I remember being told, hey, confidence will help. If you're confident, you can pull anything off. And girls find confidence attractive. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be, you know, when you're psyching, you're so not confident that you're psyching yourself up. That was me. And so we got introduced by some, um, some, some girls that she had grown up with her whole life. I was living in Vancouver, which is on the far west coast of Canada. And she was living um, just the next province over, but it was a 17 hour drive. So these girls, I don't know how many times you could go around Ireland in 17 hours, but <laughs> Canada is like, we don't have a lot of people, but it's pretty big. Um, and so these girls were like, you have to meet our friend. And I was like, yeah, I do. I've got no prospects right now. I'm so single, I need help. Uh, thank you for helping me. And they were telling her at the same time, you have to meet our friends. So I was in, I was in college with these girls and they were like, no, we grew up with this girl and she's perfect for you. And so after about a year and a half of hearing that, um, she emailed me. Okay. So she, I guess that means she took the first step, which I, I didn't think that through, but she emailed me and, uh, and we decided to have a, a conversation on the phone. So I called her one night. It was, it was actually Wednesday, May 12th, 2004 at about 9 p.m. I remember, well, we were supposed to talk at nine and I kept calling and she wasn't picking up because she worked late um, and I looked a little bit desperate. But anyways, I called her and in the first couple of minutes, so I'd seen a picture. So I was like, okay, Lord, she's for me. So I knew that. So that was like, that was about all I needed. But I was like, let's just see if I like the sound of her voice. And so we talked in the first 10 minutes of the conversation. I was like, okay, confidence, confidence. I'm going to play the confidence card. So the first 10 minutes, you can verify. I said, hey, I live in Vancouver. I'm never moving to your hometown. So if this is going to work, I don't want a long distance phone friend. You should, you should quit your job, move to Vancouver and be my girlfriend. And wouldn't you know it, about a month and a half later, I flew to where she lived. We loaded up her car and she quit her job and drove to Vancouver and started living with a couple mutual friends. So the confidence worked out really good early, but then we're like... <laughs> We're there and we're in Vancouver and we're, we've been dating officially for probably two weeks, okay? But I'm into it. Like, I'm into it. I'm all the way in. So we've been dating for two weeks and I decide after two weeks that I'm going to continue to play the confident card. And so I call her one morning. I'm driving to work. I'm just, I'm an idiot. I call her one morning and I decide to, over the phone, be the first time I tell her that I love her, okay? If you are in a relationship with somebody and you've never said those words, don't say them over the phone for the first time. Because this is what happened. I was like, hey, I love you. She's like, okay, have a really great day. I was like, oh, like it was just, I was like, I wrecked it. She's going to move home. She, and, but the, the, here's the problem. She was at work too. 
She's at work. She was in her office. Her boss was right there. I chose like the worst time ever to tell a girl you love her for the first time. And, and, and so the confidence, like it worked really well on the phone the first time. It did not work really well when I told her I loved her for the first time. I, I wondered all day if, if she was ever going to talk to me again. And now we got four kids. So we talked several times since then. Um, but there's this thing about confidence. Confidence um, is the full trust and belief in the power, reliability, and reliability of a person or a thing. Confidence. And one of the mistakes that we often make is that we can put our confidence in places that are unreliable. Um, you, you hear a lot about self-confidence. Self-confidence is, is, doesn't work because I know me. I'm unreliable. So I can't put my confidence in myself. Uh, self is not a good leader or anchor for your soul. I can't trust myself. Myself wants to follow my emotions and my desires. So self-confidence isn't really confidence at all because I'm unpredictable. We like to put our confidence in situations and circumstances where, where, well, everything is going really well right now and we've got a little bit of money saved up and we're feeling good and so I've got some situational confidence, but then what happens when the situation changes? What happens when the economy takes a downturn? Or what happens when you lose your job? Or what happens when somebody walks out on you and all of a sudden the confidence you had because of a situation or circumstance is fleeting and gone? The psalmist David demonstrates, as he writes these words, I will remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David is, is putting it out there for us that his confidence doesn't hinge on what's happening around him. It doesn't even hinge on other people. It does not hinge on his own gifts, talents, and abilities. David's confidence hinges on the Lord. So I will see the goodness of the Lord. The Lord. I'll see the goodness of Jehovah. Like he's, he's announcing in that moment that I will see the goodness of the Lord, the one who was there before the beginning. Like the one who was there when nothing else existed, God existed. He created. He was the architect of the very first day, and he was the architect of day two. He was the designer of this day, and he'll be the designer of tomorrow. David's saying, my confidence is in him, the author of creation. He's not becoming. God has no past tense. He has no future tense. He just is. David's like, man, my confidence is in him. God created time which was a place for us to exist. He is absolute and nobody appointed him. And David says, my confidence is in him. Vast enough and expansive enough and powerful enough that he created the cosmos, but infinite enough and intimate enough that every person in this room is handmade trillions of cells working in cooperation to make your body function. David says, my confidence is in that God. He's a God that we can rely on. And so I'd like to propose today that Psalm 27 verse 13 is not just a nice Bible verse. It wouldn't just make for a great tattoo or something to hang up in your kitchen, okay? Psalm 27 13, when it says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I believe today it serves as a prophet. I've, I've had this verse in my mind all week as I've been thinking about being here. It wasn't for the conference. It wasn't for my workshop. I think it was for today. And I believe that this verse 
is a prophetic declaration over the collective future of Open Arms Church. I think it's over experienced church, but I think it's also a prophetic declaration over your individual future and your family and your situation. David is basically saying, listen, as what's the land of the living? It's like, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. So, so the qualification today for you and I to see the goodness of the Lord is breath. Basically, if you're alive, then there's goodness to be seen. And so what I'm hoping today is that whatever situation you might be facing, we can face it knowing that there's great confidence in the future, that God is doing a good work because he's a good God. We're going to see the goodness of the Lord in our marriages. We're going to see the goodness of the Lord in our parenting. You're going to see the goodness of the Lord in your studies. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in your career. We're going to see the goodness of the Lord in Dublin, in Ireland, across Europe, and in Canada. We will see the goodness of the Lord. So, so, so what is the context of this verse? It, when does David write this? Well, David, um, the psalmist, he, he wrote this psalm after he had been called and anointed by God to be the king of Israel. So it's after he'd been called to be the king, but he'd not yet become the king. So it's written before he's King David. Right now, he's just Dave, okay? So... He, and, and David, in these moments, is dealing with an erratic, unpredictable, violent, jealous predecessor in King Saul. Now, I just want you to appreciate for a moment the complexity of his situation, because to be anointed king, to be a young boy in that Jewish culture, you would have, you, the king would have been a hero to you. Saul would have been David's hero. And then to find out that he's anointed to become the next king, there would have been this awe and this reverence and this, this respect around who Saul was and everything he represented. And for David to know that someday I'm going to be in that role. And so imagine that David not yet becoming king, but the person that he idolized and looked up to and thought, man, that's my hero, has now let him down, has betrayed him, and is actually trying to take David's life. It's a crazy situation. David had been hired to be a musician in the palace of King Saul. Saul was slowly losing his mind, and there was something on David that as he would play his harp, it would minister to the king and calm him down. And so, so David receives, imagine receiving the job offer to be in the palace. He'd be like, oh, this is great. This is one step closer to my ultimate destiny. That's fantastic. One, one step closer to the role that God created me for. Um, only one day to have yourself playing the harp and the king to turn on you and Saul so overcome with jealousy that he grabs a spear and starts chucking spears at David in a fit of rage. Like it's absolute insanity. David goes, without getting into all the details, goes from being like so close to the very thing that God said, I've created you for this, to being like Israel's most wanted. He's on the run for his life. He's anointed to be king, but now there's an attempt to kill him. And the palace, which was his destiny and his future, is getting further and further and further away from his reality as he runs for his life. And that takes us all the way to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, where David, running for his life, finds himself in the temple, then in a... In a uh, um, uh, he meets with Ahimelech, the priest, and then he finds himself hiding out in a cave. And it's while he's in the cave at Adullam that he writes these words. I 
remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land. Imagine that posture to be on the run for your life, far from what God told you was going to be your future, but to still have this perspective like, man, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. There is an anointing on David, but the fullness had not yet been realized. And just as he, and, and he's just getting started. And in the same way, I believe there's an anointing on open arms church in that, yeah, you're six years in, but in so many ways, you're just getting started. Like you're just about to take this new territory. And we have no idea what the next six years are going to hold for the church. As I believe it's not going to be a season of addition, but a season of multiplication. And the fullness of God's plan has yet to be seen. And, and so on a personal level, that's corporate, but personally, maybe you're not where you'd like to be. Maybe you're not where you thought you'd be. Maybe there's some dreams that you have in your heart and they seem to be just getting further and further and further away. Or it feels like your life is moving in the wrong direction. Uh, today, um, just, just know that there's something to remaining confident. Uh, remain, I, I, I looked this word up during worship but it means to continue to exist, especially after other similar or related people or things have ceased to exist. Let me encourage you. There are a lot of people that might give up after they've gone through what you've gone through. There are a lot of people that might not have the staying power that you've had, but remain. And if you don't quit, you will see the goodness of the Lord. And so what I'm realizing more and more is that God's calling is not circumstantial. According to Romans chapter 11, verse 29, his calling is actually, actually irrevocable. So it doesn't matter how crazy life gets, how crazy your situation gets, God will never take his hand off you. And as long as you're alive, God is working for, for your good and his glory. He doesn't have to rethink the goals for your marriage and your future and your kids and your career and your relationships and ministry and for your health. And so listen, the world is crazy. We know that, okay? Canada's crazy. I don't know if it's crazier than Ireland. I think if we actually compare it, it might be. We're just all a little bit messed up. The authority of scripture is under attack, especially in the Western world right now, especially in Western culture. Church is imploding and society along with it. And there's this compromise. Sin is glorified and celebrated. And there is an assignment on the enemy to try and take down the next generation, attacking identity and purpose. But I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That regardless of the circumstance, the goodness of the Lord marches forward. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing in Ireland, in Canada, and in your life. And he's inviting us into the process. So my big thought today, how did David remain confident when the world around him was crazy? In the face of adversity, misfortune, and chaos, how do we as Open Arms Church move forward being confident that we'll see the goodness of the Lord. I got four quick thoughts for you today. Four things that, that as, as, we, as we would say, like, I will see the goodness of the Lord. What type of church do we need to see to be able to push through, remain, and see the goodness of the Lord? Uh, the first thing is we see a church that believes. This is a church that believes. Well, what do we believe? Well, we, be, we believe in Jesus. I know that sounds so elementary, like, man, we brought this guy in to tell us that the church should believe in Jesus. That's so basic. Um, if we, we wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in Jesus. Okay, now let's just break it down for a second, because I'll be honest, intellectually, I'm a believer. If you asked me, do you believe in Jesus? I would say yes, 
I believe in Jesus. Uh, but practically, I don't always live like I believe in Jesus. I'm a pastor. And, and so, yeah, in my head, the head knowledge part of me, of course, I believe in Jesus. But does my faith always look like I believe in Jesus? Uh, not always. Are there days when I wrestle with guilt and shame? Are there days when temptation feels like it's too much? Absolutely. I have those days. And, and it's in those moments when, am I really believing that Jesus is who the Bible says he is? I think that's what's important. Not that, we, not that we just intellectually believe, but do you believe in your heart that Jesus actually is who he says he is? There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus was a person. There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus was a historical figure. There are a lot of people who believe that he was a great moral teacher and a martyr for a particular religious belief system. But I'm telling you, we've got to get beyond that intellectual level. And I'm not just here because I believe in someone from history. I'm here because I believe he's alive today and is working out his purpose and plans in my life. And this is important because what we believe determines how we behave. And my, my behavior always aligns with what I believe. So, so what I believe to be true about Jesus will impact how I live my life and how I lead my family and how I live out my faith. So if I do believe that he's the son of God, who was sent down from heaven, took on the likeness and form of humanity, traded streets of gold and the splendor of his heavenly throne for a manger and dusty Galilean streets uh, so that he could relate to me. If I really believe that Jesus walked and lived and grew up and was tempted in every way as I've been tempted, if I really believe that he was arrested and charged and crucified, taking my place on the cross, suffering the weight and taking the penalty of my sin so that I could be free, if I really believe that, then shame won't be an issue. If I really believe that, guilt is not an issue. If I really believe that, condemnation is not an issue because all of that was nailed to the cross. If we really believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, then on that miracle alone, we should have no problem believing for healing in a body or restoration in a marriage or the salvation of a city. On that miracle alone, we could ask anything in his name and understand and believe that he hears us and wants to move. On that miracle alone, we ought to have the conviction that nothing is impossible. If we believe that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us, then we would live full of faith, believing for better. Amen. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the apostle Paul says it, says it this way, Christ is supreme. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in 
everything for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that includes you and me who were once far away from God. We were his enemies separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions, but now reconciled through Christ. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior of our sins, and we fix our eyes on Him. I love that uh, how in Hebrews chapter 12, it says that we fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. A pioneer would go into unsettled territory and settle it so it was, it was able to be habitated by people who would come later. And think about that as far as it pertains. If Christ is the pioneer of your story, that means he's already gone into tomorrow and settled it before you get there. That means he's already gone into the doctor's office and settled things before you show up for that appointment. He's already gone into the lawyer's office. He's already gone into that business meeting. He already, he's already gone into the future and has settled what your kids are going to look like when they're teenagers and graced you to parent and lead them. He settles your future. He's the pioneer. We keep our eyes focused. We believe in Jesus. The second thing is that we see a church that builds. So we believe, but we also build. I want to bring our attention back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. This is David on the run from Saul. It says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now, David met Ahimelech in the tabernacle. This was the meeting place. It was God's house. This is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament and a 2023 open arms. It's the church. When David was in distress, when he was alone, when he was scared, he ran to God's house because God's house is supposed to be a place of refuge, a place of hope, a place of healing. And I'd like to suggest today that the church has never been more crucial than it is right now. The church, open arms, is an expression of God's plan A for reaching humanity with the hope of Jesus Christ. The church is the most powerful organization, community, and assembly of people on the face of the planet. It is not the UN. It is not the European Union. It is not some sort of global conglomerate. No, the church is the most significant and powerful organization in the world. Today, around the world globally, more people will gather in the name of Jesus than in every other name. And Matthew calls the church the ecclesia, the called out ones, not to blend in, but to stand out. We're the church. And so we build the church. Look what David says about the church in Psalm, uh, further on in Psalm 27. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in open arms all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in the, in the hotel and soon in our new building. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At this sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David writes this while he's, 
in that season of being with Ahimelech in the tabernacle, you say, man, this is exactly where I need to be. Because the, the, there's something about God's house that keeps me safe and is protecting and, and, and my head is exalted. I come in and I'm encouraged and I'm lifted up and I'm inspired and there are enemies around me, but it does not matter. The presence of God is a rescue from trouble. Yeah. Or oh, sorry, that's, I said that backwards. It's not a rescue from trouble. It's a refuge in trouble. Yeah. It's a place of refuge. God might not get you out of the situation, but he'll always get you through. And right now, our world, this city, has a lot of people who need a refuge. Like David, when the pressure is on, we all run to something, don't we? When there's chaos and confusion, we run to something. And what you run to will run you. If you run to the approval and affirmation of people, you'll be controlled by what they think. If you run to your bank account and your investment portfolio, then your life will be run by where the markets go. If you run to the government, well, God help you if you run to the government. <laughs> if, you run, if you run to relationships, then everything hinges on other people. No, we run to the house of the Lord and the body of Christ. First Chronicles 22.5, David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before it. David so understood the value of God's house that he invested in its, in its future. Because it was never just about him. It wasn't just a one generation and done. David understood what we're building is generational. What we're building needs to last. What we're building in this season at open arms, what you build in these first 10 years has to last the next 100. It's significant. We're building a gen. I love, we got a little tour of the kids' spaces. Uh, they're all like playing football in the hallway before. And I love it because you're building a generational church. Listen, long after we're all gone, our heart and our hope is that people are still meeting in open arms and still finding freedom. And your children and your grandchildren have become the spiritual leaders in the community, still being empowered to make a difference in the world. We can't stop building the house. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. It was loaded with expectation because it was a calling out of a people and empowering them with the Holy Spirit to bring heaven to earth. That's what the church does. We bring heaven to earth. We usher in a new kingdom. The very best work Jesus was going to do would not be in his own physical body, but through his spiritual body. That's us. The best work. First Samuel chapter 21, verse eight and nine says, David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword here? I didn't bring my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, well, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but that one. David said, well, there's none like it. Give it to me. David knows this sword. The third thing uh, is that we see not just a church that believes, not just a church that builds. We see a church that battles. A church that battles. You might, you might remember Goliath. Remember the story, David and Goliath? It's a, it's a big one. It's, as far as Bible stories go, it's a big one. Um, David killed him with a stone and a sling, and then he grabbed Goliath's sword, a little bit graphic, cut off his head. Um, I love that story. 
But after the triumph over Goliath, David finds himself now, this is another battle. And the truth is that you don't just kill your Goliath and go home and life is easy. Uh, we're, we are in a war as Christians for the future. We're in a war for our children and our children's children. We're in a war for our city and our nation. And for some, it was a war. There's like an internal struggle just to get to church today. Your kids threw some crazy stuff in the toaster. Like it's just, and you're like, my God, the devil is trying to stop me from getting to open arms. It, we're, it's, it's a struggle. And the reward for killing Goliath was that David was going to have other battles to fight. The reward for victory is a new battle. you, You kill Goliath and it's on to the next. So we can't be surprised when we face battles. We're not shocked. We're not looking for the quick out, the easy way, the simple path. We're in this all the way. And the truth is the future of this church will be more demanding than the past because it's new territory. We're forging forward. That your future as a believer will be more demanding than the past. There are going to be new battles. And so we have to decide, am I going to bow out or will I battle on? I will see is like this prophetic declaration that we're going to build on our battles. And so listen, the first time David was in a battle, all he needed was a sling and a stone. There was one giant at one time, but now he needs an upgrade in his artillery because what he finds is that the battle against Goliath now produced a new weapon in his hands. He only had the stone before, but now he's got a sword and your past is producing your greatest weapons. David is building a kingdom. He's not running from his calling. He's running to the things he needs to see God's plan unfold. He would not be a king if he didn't know how to wield a sword. He's getting ready to face armies and take nations. He's not going to do that with a sling and a stone. He needs a sword. So listen, take every weapon, every tool, every lesson, lesson learned, every bit of confidence gained and perspective given and character developed, and let's get ready to fight. We battle in the spirit. We don't fight like the world fights, but we, we have, the Bible tells us, divine power to demolish strongholds and arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we're a church that believes in Jesus, we're building for the future and we're not afraid to fight. We battle. And 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2 said, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of, cave of Adullam, where when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, this, this last point, uh, is that we see a church that bonds come together. They heard about his resolve, these other people. They heard David's worshiping in the cave and all of a sudden David's not alone in the cave anymore. He's got people standing with him. And I love this because see, anybody will gather around you when you're raining, like when you're on top and things are going good. The real people, the real ones, they'll gather around you when you're on the run. And David's on the run. And, and, and sometimes the people that gather around him in this text, they get a bit of a bad rap, almost like they're this group of misfits. Like, oh, look at these people that David got. And, and you, you wouldn't have looked for these guys in particular to start an army with. But think about it for a moment. So um, they were dis- in distress. So their lives weren't easy. There had been problems. They were unhappy. They were in debt, so they, there is no success. They're overdrawn. They're, they're, they're stretched and stressed from past failure. 
discontented, so they've been hurt. They're wronged. They're unsatisfied with where they are and how things are. They're desperate for something different. But like, just take a little bit of a different angle on these three characters for a moment. Like, what if distressed is battle-tested? Like, yeah, we've learned, we've been through some things, but we've learned some things. What if those guys that were in debt were the risk takers, the faith walkers, the big dreamers? What if the discontented were the entrepreneurs and the creatives thinking, man, there has to be a better way to do this. There has to be a better way to move forward. Listen, we will see a church united around a Christ vision that none should perish. We gather around Christ like these people gathered around David. And I believe that the church moves forward on the backs of the battle-tested and the faith-filled and the entrepreneurs, ready to think and dream outside of the box. The world is changing and the church doesn't need to change with it. We should be changing ahead of it. We could actually set the tone, set the culture, be innovative and creative. The way it's done and has been done won't be the way it is in the future. So the mission remains, but the methods will change. There's something new happening in and through the church and in your life. So we come together. And, and I'm, I'm done. Uh, this is it. I'd like to get the, the keys if we could. Um, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's not just a memory verse. It matters. It matters for our future together. I say that because I hope, I hope we'll be back at some point. Um, but I, I just wonder, yeah, in that new building, let's go. Could, could we stand together from the front to the back? I wrote, down, I wrote down a few things that I just feel um, could serve as like a prophetic declaration over your life and over the church. And I don't, I don't, they're not gonna be on the screen. They're just here in my notes. But I wonder if I could almost prophesy or declare them over the room today. And you could just, I, I'm hoping just receive from the Lord. Can we do that together? Maybe... Maybe even just you could hold out your hands in a bit of a receiving posture. Um, then, I'll, oh, Lord, I pray that you would just take these words. I will see. These are prophetic words describing a future not yet realized. A vision, a picture, a story that is yet to be written and a testimony that is yet to be shared. I will see is the conviction held by dreamers, ones who dare to live beyond themselves and believe for age-old promises to be fulfilled. I will see is the boast of seekers, the ones knocking on the door of a miracle, the ones not content with the status quo, who know that a supernatural future belongs to those who will remain and never give up. I will see is the heartbeat of open arms church, unshaken in times of trouble and overflowing with life. God's plan for humanity, the church is generous and passionate. It embodies the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, running full force in the direction of all who need him. I will see is the mission statement of those committed to lifting the oppressed, caring for the poor, honoring the widow and championing the cause of Christ at home and around the world. It is doors open 
arms open, heart open, ready to make space for every story, every life, every prodigal returning into the arms of the Father. I will see is the commitment to keep praying impossible prayers and lifting our voices and raising our hands to push back every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I will see is the belief that heaven still touches earth, that we will see miracles like cancer disappear and sickness healed and mental health restored and addiction broken and lives transformed. I will see faith plunders hell and populates heaven. I will see is the battle cry of the warrior, the mom, the dad, the grandfather, the grandmother, full of strength and resilience, determination and faith. The ones who know that when evil advances, the Lord is our stronghold and our salvation. When enemies rise up and adversity closes in and uncertainty is all around, we remain steadfast because he who called us is faithful. I will see is a promise to build for future generations, a promise that we will live now, sacrifice now, and fight now so they can know the fullness of life that Jesus came to offer. It is today our bold declaration that our children and our children's children will serve the Lord and build his house. Let it be, Lord, in your name. Amen.